Today, we're going to continue the Joseph story, and we're going to talk about this amazing, amazing thing that God did through this man's life. He started off as a boy in the story, 17 years old, betrayed by his brothers, sold into slavery. And then we heard last week, Pastor Fee shared about how he became, uh, he was a slave in Potiphar's house, but he rose to a place of preeminence in the house. He was the leader of everybody there. He managed all the employees. He was so dependable. They relied on him. And he also caught the eye of Potiphar's wife, who said, I think I want that boy to sleep with me. She went after him, and he kept resisting, kept resisting, kept resisting, until one day when the house was empty, she grabbed him and said, come sleep with me. And he ran out of the house, left his coat behind, and so as Pastor Fee shared last week, that was the evidence. And he shared last week about the difference between the evidence that man has versus the what? Thank you. Feast remembered. Yeah. <laughs> the justice, the justice of God. And, you know, there are evidences. There are, there's evidence that's built up. There's a case against you and me. There's a case against you and me. Every one of us. We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And because of that, we deserve to go to hell. But God has another righteousness. He's brought in Jesus Christ who took our place. And there's a justice of God. Jesus took the sin, the punishment for the sin that belonged to us. He took it on himself and, uh, and that's why we are set free. So that's the justice of God. But as a result, in Joseph's story, as a result of this whole deal, Potiphar's wife accused Joseph of this thing. Potiphar, when he heard about it, he took Joseph and he threw him in, threw him in the prison house. That's the actual Hebrew translated prison house. That's how it goes. So here's Joseph and he goes down into the prison. And that's the story we're going to look at today. But I wanted to mention one thing about Potiphar and his wife. As you read that story, there was a little insight that I think is worthy of our understanding. Do you remember the accusation that Potiphar's wife made about Joseph? She said to Potiphar, You brought this Hebrew into my house to make sport of me. So who's she actually accusing? Her husband. She's accusing Potiphar of bringing the Hebrews. And it's when she did that, that's when he got mad. <laughs> so in a way, the issue is between Potiphar's wife and Potiphar. There's something else going on. Now, we don't know the whole story. You know, we don't know all, you know, what was their marriage like and all that and all that. But there was something going on there. And I think, you know, Potiphar, I always kind of wondered, why did... Potiphar throw Joseph in a prison where the palace miscreants were kept. The people Pharaoh was upset with would put in that prison. Why didn't he throw him into a prison, prison for slaves? I mean, this is actually not a horrible, bad prison. It's a prison where the, like the political prisoners would be kept or the, the people from the palace who messed up. Um, 
I think it's probably because there was something going on between Potiphar and his wife. And, and I, I also believe Joseph still had favor with Potiphar. Now, when we go into the next chapter, we're at, uh, we're at the end of 39, chapter 39. And we're going to pick it up at the end there where Joseph begins his time in the prison house. But before we go there, I always like to go back and look at some history because I'm an English teacher and I feel like history is very important. I used to teach English in high school and I always loved uh, going through the historical background that surrounds the poetry that we were about to read. So if you ever want to get a little uh, lecture on poetry, I'm your guy. I'd love to tell you all about it. But here's some history that I think is very interesting. Jacob, does anybody know what the name Jacob means? His name was changed to Israel, but the name Jacob itself means he's a grabber of the heel. He grabbed the heel of his older brother, heel grabber, and that again translates to means deceiver, the guy who trips you up. So this is, this is Jacob. He's a deceiver. Joseph, Joseph's father, Jacob, was a deceiver. Going back in history a little bit more, you know, Isaac was also a deceiver. He told the king, hey, that's really my sister. That's not my wife. And because of that deceit, a curse came upon those people that God had to deliver them out of. And if we go back in history, Father Abraham was also a deceiver. He did the same thing. Hey, that's not really my wife. I know she's, uh, she's very beautiful and all. She's really my sister. In order to save his life, he deceived the king. God again had to do something to deliver those people where Abraham had deceived them. So, you know, there's, there's a curse that seems to be coming down generation to generation, these deceivers. And then you come to Joseph. And guess what? Joseph is the one who's breaking this curse, this constant deceit, deceit, deceit. He's, he's the curse breaker. So that's why I put up here the Joseph story, breaking the curse, and then the other subtitle I have, stepping down to success. In each of the new stories we're looking at, Joseph is not getting better, getting better, getting better. He's going down, going down, going down. At first, he was sold as a slave into, from, from his brother's place. Then he sold as a slave into Potiphar's house, a high official in the government, probably a pretty nice job, betrayed and sent down to prison. But kind of a nice prison. I don't know how nice it was. It's still prison. Not, not a good place to be. But less freedom than he had before. So he's not rising the ladder of success. But here's what I want to say today. He's going down into success. Each step down was closer to where God wanted to have him be ultimately. Praise God. God has a good way of doing things. Joseph is the one through this process who God uses to break this cycle, this curse of deceit, deceit, deceit. Is there anywhere in your life you could use this? Have you thought back to your own history? What are some of those family things that have been coming down, coming down to you? And then here you are today, my fellow Joseph and Josephines. You're here today to break the curse. I bet there's a lot in your family 
history, you probably don't even know. There's stuff in your history that's like, you know, you don't know all about your grandfather and great-grandfather. You might have an idea. But God is always in this process of breaking the curse. And he wants to use you. Today, he's calling you to break the curse. And how is this curse broken? In Joseph, through Joseph's life, it's broken. We're going to see it at the end of the story. Sneak preview through forgiveness. It's broken through forgiveness. But this process that Joseph is going through, going down, degrading into despair, seeing God's handiwork in the middle of it, Joseph emerges with victory for all. Can I uh, talk through this again? As Joseph is going down through these, I'm calling it degrading tunnels of despair. As he goes down, he goes from Potiphar's house down to the prison. He still testifies that God brought him success. In the middle of the prison, in the middle of Potiphar's house, God brought him success. And at the end of the story, Joseph emerges bringing a victory not only for himself, not only for his family, but the entire world. Does that sound familiar to you? Is there anybody who's like that? Jesus. Thank you. It's like Jesus. <laughs> he is right on top of it today. Yes, he's going to be the teacher's pet today. As I've been reading this story, I'm just kind of astounded that Joseph went through all this suffering without forming the worst and most bitter attitude. <laughs> Isn't it kind of amazing? One betrayal right after the next, and he still seems to have a pretty good attitude. We're going to see it in the story today. Boy, wouldn't that be great if you and I could have this? Instead of when those bad things keep happening to, happening to us, you know, what do we tend to do? We tend to get a little bitter, a little arr, nasty, a little whatever. But Joseph maintains this very strong, healthy belief in God, giving God credit and seeing the success in it. How does he do it? He does it by looking to God. What does the book of Hebrews say? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We look to Jesus. Jesus was looking to the joy set before him. And that's how he endured the cross, despising its shame, and is now seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. Hallelujah. That's what Jesus did, and that's what we do. We keep our eyes on Jesus. That's how we get through the bitterness of life without becoming bitter. That's how we get through the despair without despairing ourselves. Today, in this story, we're going to see the lowest point in Joseph's life. So, let's look at the verses. Here we go. But the Lord... Oh, that didn't show up very well, did it? Uh, but the Lord was with Joseph. I'm just reading to you from... Oh, I didn't put the reference in here. Uh, this, is, this is chapter 40, or the end of chapter 39. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor. This is right after he's betrayed by Potiphar's wife. Potiphar throws him in jail, and here's what is said. You can't see it. <laughs> but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor. Ah, nicely done. 
Isn't it nice to have Bill back there on this thing? Well done, Bill. Yeah. He got thrown in prison, and here's the word. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor. Now, this is actually Joseph's testimony of his time in prison. Don't you love it? Don't you want to be like that? Instead of all crabby when things don't go right, it'd be nice if we could just be like this. But the Lord was with me. In the sight of the keeper of the prison, gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. <clears throat> Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. That's Joseph. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge. He knew he could trust him. And then here's again the testimony. Because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Mm, isn't that good? Here's Joseph giving testimony at the lowest point in his life, farthest away from where he thought he would be. Do you remember Joseph's dreams? All my brothers are going to bow down to me. Even my father and my mother and my brothers. That was the second dream he had. They're all going to bow down to me. I'm going to be a person of great importance. <laughs> From there, it's all downhill. It's been all downhill so far. And he's now at the low point. However, he testifies God showed him favor. God gave him favor and God gave him success. Betrayal by his brothers led to success in Potiphar's house. Betrayal by Potiphar's wife leads to success in the prison house. Now here's the ironic thing. Each betrayal was leading him closer to his final destination. So here's the news for us folks. Each time you feel like it's just not going right, it's going worse and worse. It could very well be that God is up to something. God is on the move and he's getting ready to take you one step closer to the final victory you and I are supposed to have. You feel like things are getting worse, they're getting worse, and they're getting worse. Don't fear. God has a plan. The thing for us is to just keep our eyes on him and don't become bitter, sour, and a bad attitude. Don't let it happen. Keep your eyes on him. In all of these situations, Joseph is attributing his success to God. Now, I would say to you, Joseph was exercising a choice. When you and I are faced with something bad, we have a choice. Are we going to choose to keep our eyes on the Lord through it? Are we going to choose to just take the bait and swallow a sour attitude and become sour ourselves? You have a choice. You know, um, <clears throat> when you get angry, you get really, really angry, our tendency is to blame well, she made me so angry. That's actually not true. Your anger is a choice. Something bad happened to you. You got hurt, you got offended, your pride was wounded, and then you chose to get angry. That's not right. And you start making judgments on the other person. That's how anger forms. But it happens like that, and you don't get to see all of, all of that <laughs> process going. Joseph is remarkable. He doesn't seem to be getting angry. Now, I wish he had a journal that we could have read through all his thoughts. Because we're getting the summary. We're getting the very brief summary 
Well, God gave me success in the prison. God gave me favor with the, with the keeper of the prison. That's Joseph's testimony. I wonder what kind of process he went through. Can you imagine being in the pit after his brothers had talked about, shall we kill him now or what shall we do? His own brothers are saying those things. How did he feel? What were his thought processes? We don't know. But what we do know is he came through it and said, I'm trusting in God. God put favor on me. And he even declared that in the prison house, he was successful. Boy, that's a lesson we really need to learn. When we get thrown into the to our own prison house and say, okay, I just got fired from my job. Bank account is empty. Okay, God, thank you for getting me right where you want me to be. I'm ready for what you got next. I'm ready to take it to the next level. Joseph exercises his choice on what to focus on. He looks to God. It's so easy in those times to focus on the bad things. Man, isn't it? It is so easy to focus on the bad. So Joseph is in the prison house, and now the story goes on. He's been there for a while, and a couple of guys come in there. They're thrown into prison. They were Pharaoh's servants, high-level people. One is the baker, and the other is the cupbearer. The cupbearer is the guy who would bring the drinks, the wine or whatever, to the king. Now, his job was an important job because he would also be te- the wine tester, make sure nobody slips some poison in there. He would sip it. If he lives, okay, the king can drink it. If he dies, ooh, king, I'm feeling a little queasy here. Maybe you better not drink that drink. Who knows? But um, these two guys, it's a, both of these positions would have to be highly trusted positions because you're talking about the king and his family. So, so they did something that made Pharaoh very angry. He threw him in the prison. And here's Joseph. Joseph is in charge. Joseph is in charge of the prison, so these guys <laughs> are there. And after they'd been there for some time, they each had a dream. The baker and the cupbearer had a dream the same night. And they woke up in the morning with their dreams, and they were all downcast. They were all sad, both of them. And Joseph, who had every reason to be sad, is not sad. What a contrast. Here's the guy that's been given the shaft constantly. These guys might have deserved what they were doing, might have deserved being put in the prison, but they're, uh, they're all downcast because they had a dream and they can't interpret it. And so Joseph notices their down faces and he says, guys, what's, what's wrong with you today? Why are you so downcast? And they said, well, we each had a dream and we just can't interpret, we don't have anybody to interpret it for us. Now Joseph says something that again shows his mindset and shows his relationship with God. I don't know what you or I would have said. Probably we might have said, well, can you uh, tell me the dream? I'm interested. I'd like to hear. You know, that's maybe as far as we can go. I don't know how we do on interpretation of dreams. But here's what Joseph said, and it shows his mindset. Do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. In one sentence, that's how it's written in the scripture. That shows Joseph in prison still has a God mindset. He hasn't bailed saying, look at what God did. You know, I've done this. You probably have too. You've had some bad things happen in your life and saying, 
where's God? God has left me. God has betrayed me. Why, God, why? You know, that's the big question we have when we face our big troubles. Why, God, why? And, and here's Joseph, who has every reason to say it. You know, I thought you gave me a dream about all these good things happening. The opposite is happening. Why, God, why? He doesn't do that. He just says, oh, God is the one who interprets dreams. Go ahead and give it to me. The commentary I was reading, this is just like a little interesting thing. The commentary that I used in my study says the actual Hebrew language here talks about deciphering the dream, not, not really interpreting the dream, learning the cues or knowing the cues for what's being spoken in the dream. Now, when you read in Genesis 37 about Joseph and his brothers, Joseph knew the interpretation, and so did his brothers right away. Here's my sheaf. Here's all the brothers' sheaves. They're bowing down. I'm standing up. It's a pretty clear interpretation. Same with the sun and moon and stars. Pretty clear interpretation. But the dreams here, Joseph doesn't presume to say, well, I might be able to figure this out. He says, God knows the interpretation. God can decipher, decode the dream. And so Joseph immediately proclaims God and then says, go ahead and tell me, which means he's in touch. He's in touch with God and he's feeling confident that he can share with these guys what it is. So they tell the dream. The cupbearer says, well, I'm, I was uh, serving before the king and there were these three vines that grew out, uh, three grape vines, and then the clusters grew out. Suddenly, I grabbed the clusters, I squeezed it into the cup, and I gave it to the king. And so Joseph, right away, he says, okay, the three vines are three days. In three days, God is going to lift up your head, or sorry, Pharaoh is going to lift up your head, meaning going to bring you up out of here. Lift up your head and bring you before him. You're going to re-enter Pharaoh's service. That's the interpretation of the dream. That's the deciphering. The three vines are three days. It's interesting all the numbers that are in the, the dreams, the sequence of dreams that we see in the Joseph story. The 12 brothers with the 12 sheaves, the 12 stars and the sun and the moon. All these numbers. We'll see it again later with Pharaoh. But Joseph, he's kind of excited because he sees a chance. He says to, he says to the cupbearer, hey, Okay, that's the interpretation. In three days, you're going back to Pharaoh. Hey, would you remember me before Pharaoh? I got betrayed. I don't belong here. Would you just speak a kind word to Pharaoh about me? He's immediately trying to get some escape, and you can't blame him for that. I think we all would have done the same. Well, the baker heard the dream and its interpretation, and he says, ooh, ooh, my turn, my turn. And he says... So here was my dream. I was serving before Pharaoh and I had three trays of bread on top of my head and the birds of the air came down and kept pecking away at the top, uh, the top bread loaf and kept trying to, to eat the, the bread. And so Joseph, kind of remarkable, the courage of Joseph. He says, well, here's the interpretation of your dream. The three baskets are three days, same as the other guy. But in this case, Pharaoh's going to lift up your head and actually lift it off of your body. It's going to decapitate you. 
and you're going to die. And then Pharaoh is going to stick your body on a pole as a, as a uh, testimony to people who mess around with Pharaoh. So that's kind of a bummer. Yeah, that's a bummer. But, you know, that's kind of the end of the end of the dialogue. It's just Joseph just told him this is another remarkable thing about Joseph. He tends to just say stuff um, the way he spoke to his brothers in the past. Just kind of matter of fact, I think I think he kind of had this sense of God and the way he spoke to Potiphar's wife. No, 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 I can't sleep with you. I've got a job here. I'm in charge of all the, the people here. That'd be a betrayal against God and against my master. Um, he just tells her and tells her and tells her until finally she grabs him, and that's when he bolted. He left his coat behind. Well, here he is just interpreting these dreams for these guys, but then <laughs> here's where, go to the next slide here. Joseph is, I just grabbed this picture Oh, it's too dark. Um, Joseph is is just down. He's at a low point, his lowest point. He's forgotten in the prison. Two years, he stays in the prison after the interpretation of the dream. You know, he's probably feeling, hey, here's my ticket out. I got the cupbearer on my side. He's going to go to Pharaoh. He's going to talk, and he's going to get me out of here. And no dice. The cupbearer forgot about him, didn't say anything about him. And this is the point that I see as the lowest point in Joseph's life. We don't know what he's thinking. We don't know what he's doing. But he has to be feeling a little bit down. Here's the point where you and I get to sometimes. And I want to give you a word of how we're supposed to respond in this situation. We must keep our eyes on the Lord. And even when we're down, Give him praise. That is how we win victory. <laughs> the thing that annoys the enemy the most, annoys Satan the most, is that in your darkest and most difficult moments, you call on God and give him praise. There is nothing that defeats the enemy more than that. So when you call on God at your worst moment and give him praise, it's the most powerful spiritual warfare. And the cool thing about it is you're not even looking at Satan. You're looking at God. You're just giving God praise. Satan would love for you to stare at him and curse at him and give him all your focus. That's not the way it works, though. You got to give God praise. And then that's what defeats Satan. Psalm 23, as I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. Folks, it's while we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death that there are measures of his presence you only experience in that moment. You experience God at a closer point than you can, you can't experience him that way any other place. And you're at your darkest moments. When you tap into him at that point, there is an amazing sweetness of his presence. You can only find it there. For me, I'll just share. Um, I don't know if I've experienced the darkest moment of my life yet because I haven't lived it all yet. But I can share with you one of the darkest moments I had in my life was in Rochester, Minnesota. 
when I was taken there to uh, have my arm looked at. I was in college at the time. I was a sophomore, and I was at Oral Roberts University. And the whole student body had prayed for me because my arm had hemorrhaged, and it was looking like big trouble. And the doctor, it was such a rare condition, the doctors didn't really know what to do. So through my parents and through the advice of some people, they said, you better go to the Mayo Clinic because up there they have more medical experience than anywhere in the world. They can, they're probably the only ones who can help you. So flew up to Rochester. My parents came out from New York. I was in Tulsa at the time, so flew to Rochester from there and was checked into the hospital. And they began to run tests. They uh, injected an IV uh, and dye into my system and took x-rays so that they could see what the blood was doing. And I was a kid, you know, of 19 years old and feeling, you know, what's going on with my life here? And the doctors told me, we can't really do anything for you. I had two doctors, two different opinions. One said, your heart is going into failure. You've probably got about two months left to live unless we amputate your arm. That was what one doctor said. The other one said he was a surgeon. If you guys know about surgeons, they're pretty tough guys and they just, they just like to try stuff. So he said, uh, you know, we can't really fix this problem, but um, I'd like you to let me try. And what I predict is I'll do like a surgery every year and a half, every year on your arm until we, we get it done. Well, I had already had two surgeries on my arm prior to that point. Each one made it worse. <laughs> Each surgery made it worse. And I was like, whew, that does not sound good to me. And he, he was uh, an orthopedic surgeon and he, he thought he could, he could do it, you know, kind of a cowboy surgeon. Well, I, I felt like, the first guy really knew he was talking about your quality of life because basically I would have had to live up in Rochester and, and deal with that guy for a long time and never really be well. So we opted. It was a decision we made as a family together. Go ahead and have the arm amputated. And this was October of 1979. And when we made that decision, it was like poof, low point. You know, really, really a bad time, bad feeling at first. They scheduled it two days away. So the next day was just sort of a dead day waiting for the uh, surgery to come. And I have to say, I felt God's presence that day in a way I've never experienced it before or since. I felt like God just gave me a little package of joy into my heart. And I felt radically joyful the day before the surgery. I cannot explain it. It defies explanation. The nurses kind of thought they should get a psychiatrist to come talk to me because I was acting so strange compared to the circumstance. I was acting happy. I was in my room singing songs. I was giving God praise. And they would be standing outside the door going, cuckoo. Yeah. Boy's gone crazy. Um, that should have been the lowest point of my life. But in a way, because of God's presence, it's actually been a high point in my life. 
I look to that point and say, wow, God was with me. Now, that didn't stop all the questions that I've had because I had people like Oral Roberts call me up in front of the student body and pray for my arm. On the same day, I had Oral Roberts and another fellow out there, Kenneth Hagen. Both of them pray for me. You know, these are big time healing people and no healing happened that way. But I had my arm amputation and I continued to struggle, but I continued to have a little thread of that joy in my life and wrestling through all the phantom pains and, and all those kind of things. But I kind of recovered and started to live my life. And I still feel God's pleasure in my life, even though it looks like a defeat because I believe in healing. I believe in divine healing. And here I am standing before you today, not complete, missing a part of my body, but I still believe in his healing. And I believe in his presence, more so even than the healing. God's power in his presence is more valuable than anything else. This is what I believe. And so um, I really do believe that as we can go through our dark moments of our life, giving God praise, and it has to be verbal, I would say, folks. It can't just be a mental thing. You got to let the rest of your body hear you say, God, I give you praise in the middle of this pain. God, I give you praise in the middle of my discouragement. I just do it, Lord. As an act of my will, I give you praise. And I look to you in the middle of this dark spot and I say, you're my Savior. You're my Lord. Let your will be done. And man, Satan hates that. It annoys him like nobody's business. It makes him mad. Well, I believe this is what Joseph did. And so as we come to a conclusion here on the next slide, we'll just see. Here's Joseph. He's talking to these guys, interpreting the dreams. More dreams are coming. Have you noticed that the dreams come in pairs? Joseph had two dreams, one with the sheaves and then one with the stars and the sun and the moon. And then here come the cupbearer and the baker, two dreams. We're right on the threshold now of another pair of dreams. And what we learn in the story is that when you get the two dreams, it's God saying, for sure, it's going to happen. Daniel spoke that same thing in the book of Daniel. These pairs of dreams mean it's coming. It's going to happen. And I want to just mention about Joseph. He's the first one who had the dream. The baker, the cupbearer had a dream. And in three days, it's done. One lost his head and the other one started working again with Pharaoh. Later on, we're going to see Joseph interpret a dream for Pharaoh and Pharaoh's dreams are fulfilled. Here's the ironic thing. Joseph was the first one to have the dreams. He's the last one to see them fulfilled. Have you been waiting for your dream to be fulfilled? It may take a long time and you'll watch other people getting their dreams answered. And you're like, what's wrong with me? How come I don't get my dream? Well, it's because God has you on a train ride. The first stop was the pits. You got thrown into the pit. The second stop is Potiphar's house. Betrayal number two. The third stop was the prison house. Betrayal number three. And now God's got you right where he wants you. Getting ready for the next one. What's around the corner for you? 
You have to hold on and not give up hope because your breakthrough could be right around the corner. The thing is for you to maintain that God-focused attitude and to do the things you're supposed to do. I think Joseph worked really hard when he was in Potiphar's house. He didn't just sit around. He worked hard. In the prison house, he worked hard. But the favor came from God, and that set him up for his breakthrough. So you and me, we need to ask our question, what's our attitude when we're in the pits? God is still God in the dumps, as he is in the meadows. <clears throat> A New Testament story that I'll just conclude here is Paul and Silas went on a missionary journey that was kind of a bummer. It wasn't going very well. It started off with a fight between Paul and Barnabas, his old missionary pal. And they split. Barnabas went one way, Paul went another way. And Paul took along a fellow named Silas. And they, the first part of their journey was okay, but nothing spectacular. They just went and visited all the old churches that they had started. And then they're moving across towards the West, and they kept trying to go into Asia, and each time they tried, God said no. So it's like, this missionary journey isn't going anywhere. We're, we're traveling, we're doing what we're supposed to do, but nothing's happening. And they finally kept traveling west until they came to the Mediterranean Sea. They couldn't go any further. And that's where Paul had a vision, said, go to Macedonia. Okay, go to Europe. So he gets in a boat, he goes across to Europe, with Paul and Silas going together, they come to a town called Philippi, and they think, okay, here, we're going to have a breakthrough now. And they couldn't find anybody to start a church except a few women who met down by the river. So they were having their fellowship meetings, explaining about Jesus there. A demon-possessed girl yells out to them. Paul casts out the demon, and Paul and Silas get in big trouble. Sometimes when you work for God, you get in big trouble. Thrown in prison. And they must have been thinking to themselves, this missionary journey is not working out very well. They're in the center, bottommost part of the prison, in stocks, in chains. And they say, what shall we do? We're stuck. Well, Silas says, well, how about we sing a song? Okay. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, we have the victory. You guys are loonies. All the prisoners are listening to them. They're singing songs. Their song becomes a breakthrough. Their song becomes a breakthrough of Almighty God who sends an earthquake, shakes up the prison, all the doors break open. The prison keeper, the jailer, thinks all the prisoners have escaped. It's in the middle of the night. He's about to kill himself. And Paul says, no, 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 we're all here. And that jailer and his whole family came to Christ. And that's the beginning of the Philippian church. And we have the, the book of Philippians that was written to those people. I'm guessing those Lydia and those women became followers of Christ. I'm thinking the demon-possessed girl became a follower of Christ. And the Philippian jailer and his whole family, probably some of those prisoners, became followers of Jesus, started a church that day. <laughs> right at the point of the worst saying, we shouldn't have done this missionary journey. That's what I would be thinking. Here I am stuck in jail. It's not working out. And God was right on the threshold of bringing the breakthrough. You and I need to grab hold of that concept and not lose hope and not lose heart. Just get ready to sing your song 
in the middle of the night. Lift up your voice and give praise to God. Amen? Amen. Uh, would you guys just pray with me now? And <clears throat> we're going to, I'd like to sing a song and, and then we'll um, go on to the next part of our meeting. Father, we give you praise today. We are so in debt to you, Lord. We can never stop giving you thanks. And so, Lord, tonight, today, as we come before you in this, in this moment, I just pray you will put a sense of your joy into our lives that we might burst forth in praise at any time in our life. That, Lord, when things are going well, we give you praise. When things are kind of medium and nothing exciting going on, we give you praise. That when we're down and desperate, that, Lord, you can discipline us in such a way that we give you praise. We give you praise. We give you praise. So, Lord, I pray that in Jesus' name, that we will be a people of praise from beginning to end, day by day, day by day, and moment by moment. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.